2, 1 to 11, and that's page 1179. Uh, if you would like a Bible and don't have one with you, and pop your hand up and we can pass one on to you. And uh, Lynn is going to come and read for us. Thank you. Just get it recording. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value each other's above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you the, e- the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, Thanks so much, Lynn. Uh, Do keep that um, open up. In front of you. Now we we, uh, we spent some time recently at um, Explode. Oh, nice, you're on it. I was, I was thinking you would miss that one, but um, look at that, you're you're always on it. Um, so we spent some time l- looking at John chapter one, and uh, I told them about my goldfish Brian and Keith that I had when I was a student. That's good names for goldfish. Any any other fish owners and lovers here? No. <laughs> well, I think it's fair to say fish are not the smartest of creatures. This isn't Brian or Keith. This is just to help you know what fish look like, uh, in case you'd forgotten. Um, fish are not the smartest of creatures, it's, it's fair to say. Um, I don't know if you've ever had fish before and ever sat down and kind of talked them through your day. Um, or gone to them to get some wise counsel on what you should be doing next in your career or, 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 or that kind of thing. The reality is that you cannot really have any meaningful connection with a fish um, because they are just so different, uh, aren't they? Their understanding of, of who they are and how they fit into the bigger reality of this universe is pretty limited, um, there's no way they can possibly grasp all, all of that stuff. Um, the only way to have a really meaningful connection with a fish and to kind of blow their minds with the bigger reality of, in which they find themselves would, would be if we were to change ourselves to become fish, to swim down alongside them and, and, and lay it all out for them. I mean, if, 
small way, as I was saying, to explode on, uh, on, on those Fridays. That's a little bit like the problem that God has. Connecting, communicating with us as human beings. The reality is we are so different to God. Just as Nigel was, was praying just then. We, we are so different from him. And in fact, I think at the heart of some of the, 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 the problems that we have as, as human beings is the inflated sense of how good we are that we have and the small view that we have of God. We are so different to our holy, awesome God. But of course what we celebrate at Christmas is God coming down, God becoming flesh, pitching his tent, coming to, to live as, as one of us. That's the glory that we remember at Christmas time. And that's right at the heart of this passage that we've just had read to us in Philippians 2. And that's, so that's what we're going to be thinking about um, this morning. Let me pray and ask for God's help as we do that. Heavenly Father, we, we just want to confess again right at the start how great you are, how majestic you are, and how finite we are, and how incredible it is that you should choose to reveal yourself to us. But more than that, to, to come and become one of us in order to, to die in our place and to rescue us. That is amazing that you should choose to even notice us in the first place. Help us as we look at this, this passage, Lord. Please open our eyes, soften our hearts. Help us see the glory of the Lord Jesus. Help us see your heart this morning. Show us how we need to respond. Amen. I don't know if you've um, spent much time in Philippians before, but um, Paul is writing this letter from prison. And the church that he's writing to have, has shown great care for him. And it's clear that Paul really cared for them too, very deeply. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Whether I am in chains, defending or confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. As you go through this letter, there's a warmth and depth of love between Paul and, and this church. And above all, a sense of, of, of partnership together. So in the opening verses of chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, he says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. And he goes on in chapter 1 to describe the situation that he's in and the conflicting desires that he feels between going home and being with the Lord in glory or, or staying here and now in order to love and to serve them in the gospel. And he finishes up chapter 1 with big themes that flow throughout the rest of this letter. He wants them to stand firm in the gospel in the face of opposition and to stand firm together, united. 
So there's a theme of steadfast perseverance alongside the theme of unity that are going right throughout this letter. And so the section that we're looking at this morning, which perhaps is is actually an ancient hymn or, or a poem that the early church used that Paul takes up here. This section comes in the context of of him talking about unity and the importance of unity. And actually we get the sense of just how important unity is to Paul. Um, He's already said in chapter 1 that unity is vital in them standing firm together and contending for the gospel. Unity is vital to them doing that. But then here in the reading we had in verse 2, have a look at Philippians 2 verse 2. He says this, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So just remember again where he is as, as he writes this. He's literally in chains. He's in prison as he writes. What will complete his joy? What's he longing for? What would delight him above all else? Well, if, if I was unjustly imprisoned... I know what I would be longing for. It's astonishing, isn't it? Paul the prisoner. What com- would complete his joy is their unity. And in this section of chapter 2, he unfolds what's at the heart of unity. And again, it's what's at the heart of what we celebrate at Christmas time and what we see exemplified in the Lord Jesus. What's at the heart of unity? One word, humility. Have a look at verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I'm not sure Donald Trump has read this this, uh, far in in his Bible. Um, Remember him famously, modestly, very modestly, declaring himself to be the most humble guy he knew. (laughs) These are extraordinary words of Paul here. And actually it's possible to read these famous words in 1 to 11 and totally get the wrong idea of, of what's going on. So here's how not to understand it. Okay, here's how not to understand what's going on here. So the first few verses here, Paul piles on the pressure. If you've received any benefits at all, then you owe a duty of unity to your church. So don't be selfish. Jesus got on, did his duty, so copy him. That's how not to to read and understand what Paul is, is saying here. So please don't hear that as we go through. I want us to see this morning that humility is an attribute of God that profoundly shapes who he is and how he works and what he does. And if we are truly his, if we are his children, if we're trusting in him, then it will flow out from us too. I wonder if that's a surprise to you. Perhaps we don't tend to think about how central humility is to who God is. All-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, all the other omnis that there are. Yes, yeah, we think about those when we think about God. But humility? Well, this passage shows the supreme humility 
of the Lord Jesus and how central humility is to God the Father too. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. This is who God is. And the Lord Jesus Christ's epic journey encapsulates this like nothing else. And the first few verses in chapter 2 set out uh, the basis for our unity. Have a look at verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, he says. And we we don't have time to delve into these um, amazing verses. But note that these, the four ifs in in these uh, verses could also be translated as since. Since or or. Because. So there's a certainty here in these verses that we might miss as we kind of see all these ifs. So, so what he's saying is, because you know the encouragement from being united with Christ, because you know the comfort and, and solace of his love, that consolation of, of his love, because you know the, the fellowship of the Spirit, togetherness and partnership that the spirit bring because you experience the tenderness and compassion of the fellowship and and of the lord because you know these things seek unity be humble and verse five in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as christ jesus have the mind of christ is what paul is encouraging this church to have now there are plenty of glorious passages in the in in the bible old testament and new testament which talk us through all that jesus came and did and achieved for us on the cross this is perhaps unique in giving us an insight into his mind into his heart into his motivations as he embarked on this great rescue plan so we're going to trace this epic journey that he went on under two headings First of all, supremely humbled, from verses 6 to 8. Supremely humbled. So verse 6, talking about the Lord Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You see how Paul starts this section? Similar to John chapter 1 that we were looking at a couple of weeks ago. Similar to Colossians chapter 1. In very nature, God. He's saying the Lord Jesus is fully God. Unequivocally God. Not a a bit like God. or, Or a God. Fully God. Equal with God. He goes on in, in verse 6 to say. But crucially. Wonderfully perhaps even completely counterculturally, the Lord Jesus doesn't consider his godness, his almighty majesty, something to be used for his own advantage. Some translations have it as a, a thing to be grasped. And it's not meaning grasped in a sense that he doesn't have this glory and this majesty and this divineness with with god and so he's trying to grasp it and and get it because he doesn't have it yet that's that's definitely not what paul's wanting to say here 
but it's rather grasped in the way that our Bibles here really well um, translate it. Not held on to as a right to be used for his own advantage. So do you see what he's saying? The Lord Jesus is actively, willingly choosing not to hang on to all of those rights and privileges that he has. Instead, verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing. That's striking, isn't it? He empties himself, makes himself nothing. He doesn't stop being divine, doesn't stop being fully God, but he does become fully human. Becomes, in my silly fish illustration, <laughs> becomes the fish to swim alongside of, of, of us. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Like a king leaving his palace to come and live in a tent. Unthinkable, isn't it? But the Lord Jesus is, is not just lowering himself to become human. That's remarkable enough on, on its own. He goes lower still. He becomes a slave. It's literally a slave, doulos. Um, it's lower than a servant. Servants get paid. The Lord Jesus humbles himself, becomes a slave. You see the journey that he's going on? He, the Lord Jesus left the glory of heaven, laid aside his rights and his privileges, became human to become a slave. But then his journey gets lower still. Have a look at verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's staggering. Throughout the whole of history, there is no more humiliating and degrading way to die than to die on a cross. The Romans were experts at keeping their criminals alive and in pain for as long as possible as they executed them. Why? Because they wanted it to be the, the ultimate deterrent and visual warning to anyone else who might be thinking they want to rise up against Rome. This is what's going to happen to you if you try and take us on. Crucifixions were, were designed to humiliate their enemies and designed to kind of, for the Romans to flex their muscles at the same time to show we're the ones in control. We're the ones in, in power. It's brutal and excruciating way to die. Actually, the word excruciating, that's where it comes from, from crucifixion. Do you see what Paul's saying here? The Son of God chose to leave the glory of heaven, lay aside his rights, take on flesh, become a slave, and die in shame and agony. It's astonishing that he should be born as one of us. But, but to live the life he lived and to die the death he died, well, that's next level astonishing, isn't it? It should evoke a creation-wide gasp, one writer I was reading said about it. But perhaps what's most astonishing, verse 8 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. It's his willing choice to go on this journey. By becoming obedient. Who's he obeying? Well, Paul's setting out for us here. Jesus Christ is freely choosing to obey his Father's will. So in other words, this is no tragic accident. This is no mistake. He's not been forced or coerced into doing anything he really didn't want to do. He chose to obey his Father's will. This was the plan right from the beginning. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Supremely humbled. But then how does the Father respond? Supremely exalted. He's supremely humbled and supremely exalted. Verses 9 to 11. How does the Father respond? Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. God his Father resurrected his Son from death and and raised him up. There is no higher name that can be given than the name the Father gives to his Son. No higher glory, majesty, honour. God the Father raised him up so that, verse 10 and 11, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee, everywhere. Did you get that? Every knee, everywhere. Bow down. Every tongue. Confess, acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. This is a coronation that that far outstrips anything we saw earlier this year as um, King Charles was coronated. Is that the word? (laughs) Crowned. That's what you do to chicken, isn't it? Coronate chicken. Yeah. Yeah. But you get the idea of, of what's, what's happening here. This is where history is heading. This day is coming when he will come again to judge the living and the dead and, and usher in his new creation. One day we will all bow. Every one of us in this room. We will all bow and confess that he is Lord. Those who've come to that point in in this life, here and now, and have come to him for forgiveness, we will go on to live with him forever. But those who haven't done that here and now, face an eternity apart from him, and from everything that's good, that, that the Bible calls hell, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's living, he's reigning at the right hand of the Father now, and one day every tongue will confess that. It is, truly is an epic journey. And notice that all of this, verse 11, is to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. The self-humiliation of the Son is the perfect presentation of the nature of God the Father. This is who God is. This is, this is 
what he does. And in our kind of social media craze, self-promoting consumer world, Jesus Christ stands worlds apart, doesn't he? And he calls us to bow the knee to him now, whilst we have the choice. To submit to him as Lord of our lives now, whilst, whilst we have the choice. And I hope that as we've traced through these verses, you can see he's not some power-mad, greedy despot who's just interested in his own self-interest. He has demonstrated once and for all that he is for you, that he loves you beyond what you can even get your head around. He went on that epic journey all the way to the cross so you wouldn't have to. He died there for your sin, for your rebellion against his rightful rule and and the sin and the mess and the brokenness in your life. He went on that journey. He was born. He, He died on the cross so he could pay the ultimate price for you and for me so so that so that we could be forgiven this is who he is and if he's our lord and if he reflects the father's heart well surely this is who we should be too shouldn't it perhaps we've bought into the consumer culture of the world around us and And we come to church Sunday by Sunday thinking, what's in it for me? What am I getting out of this? Rather than asking, how can I serve? Let me ask, this is a hugely challenging question. When was the last time you loved someone else in a costly, self-sacrificial way out of devotion to Christ? What does selfless love look like for you and for me? At home, at work, at school, in our evangelism? They're hugely challenging questions and I I hesitate to ask them, to be honest, because I don't want to guilt trip you into sort of legalistic, begrudging service. But some of us here, including me, need to kick up the backside sometimes, don't we? But the truth is, we can't manufacture that kind of selfless concern and costly love ourselves. It's a gift of grace that he who began a good work in us is bringing into completion within us. And Jesus is more than than our example. He's our saviour. He's our rescuer. And it's only by first recognizing that and and coming to him turning to him for forgiveness turning to him in repentance that the new life the new heart that he gives us can produce this kind of cross-shaped love in us and john stott often used to talk about christians being like light bulbs now a light bulb with no current coming through it is no good to anybody but a bulb with with current flowing through it lights up a room that's exactly what's going on here if if we're going to be a community 
shining like stars in a crooked and depraved world, as he goes on to say in, in, in this chapter. We need the current of God's grace and power flowing through us, overspilling out of us, to help us to shine for his glory. Well, let's pray before we um, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you above all for the Lord Jesus. We, we want to, we're just amazed by the depths of, the, of, of his selfless, costly, sacrificial love that he poured out for us. We can't begin to get our heads around how great his love for us is. That he should pour out his life for us even when we were his enemies. Extraordinary love. Thank you that because of his death on the cross, we can be forgiven. We can be cleansed. We can be made right with you. We can become children of yours. We have an eternal hope because of all that the Lord Jesus has done for us. Help us, Lord, to be rooted and established in that love. May that love shape us and define us. May, may we, as a church family, show this same self-sacrificial love to one another, to the community around us. Help our families, our marriages, be places where this love is, is demonstrated and seen. And shown, not for our glory, but for your glory. May you help us by your spirit to reflect your heart. Please, Lord, we're weak. We need your help. Please, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.